This is Donna Otto, and we are Modern Homemakers. Welcome. If you keep coming back, you are a Bible scholar. You are a woman who is interested in transformation. You are a person who allows God to change and rearrange your heart. So I say welcome, welcome, welcome. We are continuing our... I don't know. I said march to myself, and then I was thinking maybe more like limping through the Sermon on the Mount, because we're just taking a few verses at a time. It is such a powerful combination of Jesus's remarks to us. This is his first of the five public discourses. And today we will be looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. And I'm going to read those verses. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. I feel the rereading of that in this very moment with such a, a check. It, they are passages that we have read many times if we're at all a person of church or Bible reading. We have heard how many times have you had heard somewhere in the world, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? We, we take this, turn your right cheek. These are phrases that we use, and they have strong implications, but the implications, the message that Jesus is actually sending to us, in these four verses, there are three powerful separate situations. There's the slapping of the cheek, the wanting of your coat, and the going one mile. And I find all of them come under this category that, that at least I consider that this is a portion that's centered on personal insult. Personal insult. How do you feel about personal insult? Well, I'm insulted at personal insult, I think. I, I, how, how, why would anyone want to personally force me to do something, take something from me, suggest that I can. And yet Jesus is giving us the process to live, how to live with someone who smites you on the cheek. Now, frankly, I've never been smited on my cheek. And I think uh, you know what that means. But what does it look like in the 21st century? We have seen in the last recent months public instances of being smited on the cheek. Now, I can tell you that I actually have never seen, except in rioting situations, where someone was actually hitting another person in the face or anywhere. But I have seen many public instances. And I keep coming back to this in my own soul many times because it was so public and so profound to me. 
when the former president of the United States was unwilling to shake the hand of the Speaker of the House on the night of the State of Union address. Jesus would say, show love in response. And what did the Speaker do? She waited until the address was over and then stood and publicly tore the speech in half. Now, that's smiting of any sort you want, one to another. So neither one was capable or interested or had the capacity of doing what God calls us. When you smite me on the right cheek, I'm going to turn the other cheek to you so you can do what? Smite me again. Snubbed? Have you ever been snubbed by someone you know? Someone who walks out of your life without a word, just disappears? I was thinking about the many shows, and I am not much of a television watcher, but I know of the shows like Judge Judy, where they bring case after case after case. It's a small case courtroom, so... They, they already have qualified that this is a small uh, event. This is a small amount of money. This is, but it is very much what Christ is saying about someone smited them on the cheek. I've, I've heard little snippets. They put their car in the parking spot that wasn't their parking spot, and then this happened, and then that happened, and now they want to collect $482.65, and they tried everything they could do, and they went to Judge Judy. And I think, Really? The heart of this seems to be when we get smited, when we get hit, we hit back. We hit back. Now, the slap on the face in these days was the worst possible insult. And uh, one of the versions, uh, this one says strike, but one of the versions said tap. So it, it wasn't a smack, a hard smack, or a punch, or a blow. It was just the awareness that if you smited someone on the right cheek, they were insulting you. So they didn't have to say a word. They could just tap your right cheek, and you know that you had been insulted. In the history of Josephus, who gives us the history of that period of time in the early church, a Roman slave was said to rather be thrashed to death than to have been slapped on the cheek. That is how personal the insult was. It was so personal that, that the response to it could only be categorized as a personal response. Now, personal insult is an opportunity for the follower of Christ to respond with love and kindness. And, you know... As I type those words, I remember thinking, I know that this is true. Personal insult is an opportunity for me, a follower of Christ, to respond with love and kindness. However, here's the big however. First of all, it's not easy. It is what God's calling me to do, but how many times do I just not do it? And there's some sort of validation that we all seem to feel like we have because we've been smited. Like, okay, we have an automobile accident. It was, quote-unquote, an accident. 
The child spills the milk on the floor. It's an accident. We lump together accidents and we feel like, okay, we can clean that up. I've told young mothers for years, those little terry cloth T-tip towels or they're a little bigger than face cloths make great napkins because the little children have accidents with milk or iced tea or water or whatever you're drinking at the table. Just dab it up with the cotton towel and move on. It was just an accident. But somehow or another, if you take your car and run it into me, there was a movie years ago, a woman's movie. It was called uh, Fried Green Tomatoes. And one of the characters in the movie, and I'm sorry I don't remember her acting name or the name she had on the film, but she was very upset at someone about something, and she got in her car, literally, I think she's leaving the grocery store, and she puts her car in forward, and she jams her car into the car she's upset with the woman who owns it, and she reverses it, and she jams it again. And maybe she does this three or four times, and every time she does it, she's not demolishing the car, she's just jamming the car, slamming into it. And there's this sense on her face of delight and relief. And, you know, I've never jammed someone's car but I have jammed them in some way or another because there's a sense of validation. There's a sense if you insulted me, I'm going to insult you back. We're going to at least play even, even. And what God is saying to us, what Jesus is asking us to do is to pay no attention to it. Let it slide. Let it slide. I don't have to tell you how hard that is. I know how hard it is. I don't have to tell you also that it is not natural and that the only way we can do this, the only way we can develop that muscle is practicing by leaning into Jesus for his action of great love to be poured through us. And I mean that so fully. There is no way, dear listener, that you can practice enough, try it enough, pray enough, believe enough that when you're insulted, you're going to do this great and wonderful deed out of yourself. Not going to happen. But if you allow Jesus to pour through you, you will be able to respond to someone who did an insult to you, a personal insult intentionally. That's what I should have called this lesson, a personal insult intentionally. It's just not natural. What do we say about the person who is meek? We don't like the word meek. We often say weak. The world favors taking action. The world favors retaliation. Don't let them get away with that. How many times have you heard another girlfriend say to you or a mother say, don't let them get away with that? Many times we are encouraged to take action, to stop the offender, to show him what is right. And I definitely think in raising children, being engaged in friendships, being engaged in marriage, there is certainly a place to say, honey, that really hurts my feelings. Honey, that feels like a personal insult. Now, if he keeps doing it, what Jesus is saying, show him love. There is another passage in the Gospels where he tells us to heap coals of fire on their head. Because when you heap coals of fire on someone's head who's insulting you, they feel humbled by it. And I think that 
Humility is a very important part. This humble Christian responding to persecution. And I can never say that concept together without thinking of a woman who became very famous um, during World War II, the concentration camps, who never set out to be very famous. But Corrie ten Boom had more personal insults than anyone can imagine. And if you've read anything about the concentration camps, seen any film to know the horrors of that, she responded in love. I dearly love the passage in the book when she rejoiced for the fleas, um, she and her sister Betsy, and the other two women in her little area, because the officers did not want to go where fleas were. And because they were fleas, their little area sort of left alone, and they had a few pages of scripture that they read together. I, I just... I know God was in that. I know that Corrie ten Boom could not have done it. Her per, the number of personal insults for anyone who was taken to a concentration camp. Come into their home, grab a valise of only what you can take with you, put on cattle cars, driven miles away, taken into centers where they were absolutely stark naked, shaved, uh, horrendously personal things, given rags to wear, taken all their personal possessions, and sent them off to be in a dorm. And that happened oftentimes in the course of less than a week. You were living in your own room, in your own bedroom, sleeping and eating in your own home, and then one moment, it's all changed. Now, we have just come through Holy Week and Passion Week and the Week of Weeks, and we see that Jesus did this repeatedly. During that week, he was repeatedly beaten and humiliated. He was even yelled at for not speaking up. Speak up, say whatever. He was certainly criticized because if you were God, why didn't you call 10,000 angels down? It was considered by those leaders as an act of weakness. It's not, is it? It's an act of meekness and mildness and humility and love. Many years ago, I, I've told this story before, but it came to me as I was preparing for today. I, I was writing in my journal two columns, eight and a half by 11 notebook paper, things God loves. And I wrote them all down. And then on the other column, things God hates. And when I got to things God loves, I wrote the word Weakness, W-E-A-K-N-E-S-S. I barely finished the S, and I went right to the other column in a very staccato, busy, fast, strong way, and it happened almost before I realized, and I wrote, I hate weakness. And it, it was so startling to me. But it was so true. Here, was, here I was making a simple list of things that I could tell from Scripture what Jesus preferred in me, and that was weakness, and I preferred strength. I am strong. I am woman. Hear me roar. That's what I did. The Holy Spirit empowers us to behave in love when someone hits us in the face, our gut or our heart, and insults it. The secret of this devotion to Jesus and his love this Holy Spirit-led life can look inconsistent. Oswald Chamber reminds me that at a growing, changing child looks inconsistent. One day he does this, 
and the next day he does that. But children do not have creeds or prejudices or certainties. They're more like jello than a brick, and they're more like Jesus. And Jesus wants us to show him um, in situations of personal insults. The second situation is very simple, quite simple, and that is if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, well, give him your cloak also. So the coat was really important because the coat was what they slept in. It was like their blanket. So if you were sued and they took your coat, you could get it back at night so you could go to bed. And what Jesus is saying is the insult of taking your coat, which means you will have no place to sleep. More than that, give them your cloak too, which is like a dress and a coat. So I'm going to give them a coat. I'm going to give them a dress also. He says, give them your cloak also. I was stunned by this simple translation. Um, you don't have time for this, standing up for yourself. And I thought, you don't have time for this, standing up for yourself. What does that really mean? Well, when you think about what is happening here, they're being sued, and all Jesus is saying, give him both, because more than likely he's going to come after them anyway. And then I remembered something that my husband and I went through many years ago when we had a lovely roofer who roofed our house and made a mistake, and the ceilings crashed in and our house collapsed, literally. I mean, the, we had to have the house rebuilt. And we went through the, the owner of the company said he was very sorry, it was his fault. And of course, everyone's saying, sue, 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 sue. My husband's an attorney. And I remember having that conversation, just the two of us. And he said to me, do, do you know? He said, not because it's wrong. He said, the man was sorry. But he said, do you know how much time, years of time and cost and continual annoyance we will have to settle the suit and move on? No, we're just going to settle it and move on. We're not going to go through the suit. And it's interesting to me because I know the scripture says we're not to sue one another. And, and I think my husband's understanding, and he's definitely, um, well, let me say he is a humble man, but his humility next to mine, well, that's a vast difference. But I, I remember it being so simple. He just said it in this calm, simple way. He wasn't telling me what we were going to do. He was consulting with me. We were agreeing on it. But his clarity of this is going to rob us of much more than we've already been robbed of in losing our house. And I thought, how could that possibly be? It was going to stall us. We were going to stop right there in this horrific moment and start another horrific proceeding, of which, frankly, we could have lost. There's no guarantee, even though we were on the quote-unquote right side. And I've never forgotten that. So we settled, we moved on, we built a new home. That was the end of it. And then the third situation, which is the mile. And he says, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second. Now, no one has ever forced me to go one mile. No one has ever forced me to go one mile. But during this time, when this is written, the Roman dominance the soldiers had, they could force you, compel you to be a baggage carrier for one mile. They could say to you, you, Donna, take this bab, 
go one mile. They could force me to do that. And I would have to. That is basically what we see when we see Simon of Cyrene. The Roman soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' baggage, the cross. They compelled him to carry it. And Jesus says, don't be grumbly about one mile. Instead, say, yes, yes, and I'll do it for two miles. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can only imagine on the roads and the Roman highways the difficulty of that. And now he says, go to. All these situations are hard. They're very hard. They are all more than we want to do. We don't even want to go the first mile or give our coat or take the insult. And I was thinking about this, and I sensed the, I don't want to do any of this, or why should I, and, or I can't do this anymore. I've said that in my lifetime. I can't do this anymore. When my oldest grandchild was little, we were in the middle of a project in the yard. I don't know what it was, but true to Nana's way, something too hard, I'm sure was trying to teach him to be a good worker or a gardener or something. But he said, I can't do this anymore. And I said, Samuel, I think you can. Well, how are you doing it? He said, he was little. And I said, well, here's what I always do. I count to eight. And he said, I can do that. So he was doing whatever the project was, and he counted to eight quite loudly and quite quickly. When he was through at eight, he looked at me, and I said, and then I count to eight again. And he was stunned by that. But through our relationship when he was little, oftentimes we'd be hiking or we'd be doing something that was tedious or tiring, and he would look at me and say, we can count to eight, Nana. I do that. I can get to eight. I can always get to eight. I can't always get to 10 or 12 or 15, but I can always get to eight. And then I can do it one more time. And it seems to me as if I can always get to eight, then I can somehow or another do what Jesus is asking me to do. And that has really laid down my life. I never saw so clearly until this looking at these passages, maybe it's my season in life, I think I lay down my life, but then when it comes to someone insulting me, personally insulting me, I not only don't want to lay down my life, I want to retaliate. This is what the passage is about, retaliation. Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, I am now rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am completing what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. Hmm. I'm asking you to do what Jesus is asking us to do in this first discourse of his, and that is to take it, to take the slap and turn the other cheek, to give your coat and your cloak, to walk one mile and then offer to walk two, even if someone's forcing you to, but especially if Jesus is wooing you to show you his love, you know it's the second step of the two-step dance. Love Jesus and love others. The last phrase in this passage in Matthew chapter 5 has to do with giving, and it's quite profound in a culture that we have many people who uh, literally stand and beg. He says, give to everyone who begs from you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. Now, we have seen in other places of the scripture that we should neither a borrower or a lender be. But what Christ is talking about here is 
giving up something of yourself for someone else. And I'm like you. I've seen many folks on the corner asking for money, signs that look worn and tattered, and I think, oh, that's just how they make their living. They, they don't, they're really not that needy. And sometimes I feel like the Spirit says, okay, get stopped and roll down the window. And then after looking at this passage, I think, what is it about my wallet or my pocketbook that could not stop every time and give every one of those something? It's personal. It's sacrificial. It may cause a little suffering. But I think it's what Christ is calling us to do concerning retaliation and going the second mile or the third mile or going to eight and then going to eight again and again and again. Give because they ask. Give because they don't deserve it. Give because, like Peter, sometimes we don't have silver or gold, but we have something else. I have a friend who keeps snacks and water bottles in her car, and when she sees someone who's asking for food, she takes the snacks and a bottle of water and hands it to them. The real question falls back on me. I guess, what do I deserve? Do I deserve someone to walk a mile and then walk two? And the other questions are, but what do I count personal? Do I count personal when someone slaps me on the cheek, or do I count personal when I watch someone slap someone else on the cheek? What am I counting as a personal insult? And what does Jesus want me to do with that personal insult? I know he's calling me not to retaliate, not to have in any way revenge. And I hope he calls you to do whatever he wants you to do regarding these precious four verses found in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. They are challenging, I will agree, but I believe they are certainly a word for the culture that we live in, in these days. I'm Donna Otto, and this is Modern Homemakers. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it a very uncommon day of giving back in love.